Hello, whatnots. Greetings from Portland, Oregon, where Jeff Lester was here literally like this time yesterday. He'd been here for a week. You know this. He'll have told you this by the time you're hearing this part. But we were totally going to record an episode together. People who've been listening to Wait What for a while know that basically like once or twice a year, Jeff comes up to Portland and we do an episode like in the same place and, and, and you know, face to face, which is unusual because normally we do it through Skype. We totally meant to do that this time. I promise you, we really, really did. And it just didn't happen. And that's not to say, like, I didn't see Jeff. I did. I saw him, like, three days. And and also, it's not to say that, like, we weren't prepared to do it. Because we were. Like, I, I took my laptop. I took my iPad so that we could do it. It's just that it never happened. I'm going to assume blame for this. It's my fault. Somewhere Jeff is like listening to this and going, no, no, it was me. Let's just let's just say that it's me for the sake of argument. Um we we instead of recording a podcast, we like went to dinner and we you know, we talked and had socializing time and you know the things that you're supposed to do with your best friend, right? It was great. It was a lot of fun, but it's completely shit for all of you guys because it means that we completely bailed on recording an episode. I'm sorry. If it helps, you missed us talking about... What did we talk about? We talked about the, the Lion for Joni thing, which I'm sure we're going to talk about the next time we do away what. We talked about, oh, Atlas Comics being optioned for movies at Paramount and... Neither of us could quite believe that anyone would pay tens of millions of dollars for it. Because apparently that's what it was. Apparently it was over $10 million, which is nuts, because they published like 28 comics before they went bust. We talked about Jeff's vegan diet and how that's going for him. Uh, Obviously because Jeff and Edie are vegan, that meant that we were all eating vegan, and that that was a whole thing. it was a delicious thing. There's a for people in Portland. There's a restaurant called Blossom and Lotus. You should really go. It's really good. There's also somewhere called Dovi Vivi where we went on the Wednesday night, which does the best vegan pizza slash the best pizza in Portland. I go and get the corn cashew people. It's really, really, really good. So yeah, we did that. We also went to a comic store I discovered like six months ago by mistake, which is. I think there are comic stores that people go to that are sort of weird magical caverns. Like things that you go to and they seem surreal and they seem as if they didn't really quite exist and that you might have imagined them. And this comic store is one of them. There's a comic store called Fallout Comics here in Portland, Oregon. And it is open for two days a week. It's open on Saturdays and Sundays and that's it. And it's in the basement of like another building that has other businesses in it. And in order to go to Fallout Comics, you have to ring the front doorbell and the guy will come up from the basement to let you in, which is hilarious and wonderful and absolutely surreal. But it's it's a store that sells, uh, it's all back issues, no, it's, none of it's new stuff. And he, he purchases the the collections of, of other people and then he just repackages them and sells them. And it's great. It's this wonderful, wacky basement that you can find just like really 
fun, unexpected old stuff for pretty cheap. Like I, I, I've said this before on, on the podcast. I loved like the DC Digest from the eighties, and I got like the the years the DC used to do like years best comics, which was literally like you know four things, four random reprints that come out in the last twelve months that they were like more people should read this, and I got like five of those for for I think it was for four bucks each or something. You know, it's. It's good stuff. I got the the Tom Pyre uh, Valsemics DC two thousand series that that uh, it's designed as if it's DC one million, but it's really a surprisingly smart story about the Justice Society and Justice League and how people in nineteen forty one would look at the year two thousand and think that everything has gone wrong in America. Um, in in a sort of fun uh, socio political commentary way. I think I horrifically like sold that in the bad way, but yeah, I I, I got that as well. You know, it, and and all of this, you know, I got a bunch of stuff and all of it for less than like thirty dollars. So it's really fun. Jeff, I think thought that I'd taken him to a really strange place, and he was both delighted by it and horrified by it. We looked through the oh, we got there when there was a half price sale. So what is normally a fifty cent bin was a twenty five cent bin. And they had an incredible amount of, of Spiral Zone comics from, like, DC in the 1980s, which is Carmine Infantino inked by Don Heck in one issue. And both of us were like, this looks amazing. What What is this comic? This, this is great. Um, Jeff, bought, Jeff bought, you know, uh, a, a Japanese, a manga guide to Japanese finance, I think. You know, a very Jeff comic. We we both stayed to our areas, put it that way. I got, like, old DC comics and Jeff got, like, really crazy manga, which I kind of love. I think he thought I'd taken him to a really strange, surreal place. And in a way, I kind of have. But no, we did that. And we did all of that instead of recording a podcast. And so, whatnots, I'm apologizing. It is my fault. I should have been more strict. I should have been like, Jeff, no, we could catch up with each other's lives, but no, we're going to record for two hours and tell everyone what's going on. But we didn't. We we let ourselves just run away with the joy. And that's what we didn't said. So, sorry, I guess. Yeah, so that's why we're that's why I'm recording this, and I think Jeff's recording something as well, and we're going to put it out, and it'll be like the... You could have had... You know, a, a regular Wade Watt or, or a special Wade Watt, because it would have been the two of us, you know, in in person, and I could have made fun for Jeff buying a shit ton of Captain Marvel back issues. This is an, an old call out for, for an old visit in, in uh, when he was up years ago. Um, but no, we we instead went to dinner and, uh, and ate good food and, and chatted and didn't record any of it. We did, however, get a photograph, which hopefully Jeff's going to put on the show notes. And you get to see both of us looking uh, very bearded. You get to see both of us with our incredibly grey-white beards, <laughs> which I love. And also, I think, just reminds both of us of quite how old we are now. It's 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 sad and and slightly tragic but no jeff was here and it was lovely and it really like it's it is always a highlight to see jeff in person this was an especial highlight uh it 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 made me very verklempt to be perfectly honest i I had a really really good time with him but we didn't record any of it so you get this instead sorry we'll be back next week with a a draw and we will be recording it normally and it'll be great i promise hello whatnots 
uh, Jeff here, and um, poor Graham, he thought he was going second, but of course I decided to play him first because uh, eh, really, uh, I was thinking about it, it uh, back when I was in Portland and it became obvious that we weren't going to get a chance to record uh, a podcast episode while I was up there, and let me just say, despite what Graham insists on his recorded track, it's really way more my fault than his. Graham at every point was kind of like, hey, I brought the iPad. Let's record something now. Let's just record something just really quick and we'll talk about things. And then, um, you know, as he pointed out, like pretty much every opportunity we had to uh, do that um, sort of ceased to become an option because uh, we were spending far much, too much time just um, sort of off the record schmoozing, just, you know, talking, chatting, hang, uh, hanging out, as it were. Uh, and before we knew it, like, suddenly, like, he mentions we went out to dinner. One of the things that's really funny is we not only went out to dinner, we ended up being, you know, those people who, which is to say we ended up closing down the restaurant. So by the time we were sort of through and kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, we should record something. It was like 10 o'clock at night. It was dark out. It just really wasn't a good thing. But, uh, but you know, Graham was the one who was really on top of it. And for whatever reason, I had really gone into vacation mode in a way that uh, I don't feel like I've had for some of my other Portland trips. Um, this trip was uh, was really odd. It was a little different. Um, I've done a few of these where it's like I previously I would go to Portland and I would try to see Graham and I would try to see people like Adam Nave or Shauna Gore or try and reach out and make, you know, more con connections with people that I knew online, but, you know, hadn't actually met in person. And of course, Portland, Oregon being Portland, Oregon, like a good chunk of those people are, are up in Portland and seem wonderful. And, uh, I did that for a couple of years and uh, also, you know, uh, Edie and I have uh, had at the time family up there. And uh, so it would be very easy to sort of go up there and um, uh, always have someone to socialize with. And for whatever reason, after about three or four of those, I was like, I, I just, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I know what it was, was the nature of my job really changed, which I'm, I apologize. That is, probably the most boring topic uh, to recurrent topic on the podcast. Like even, even when Graham and I start talking about our cleanses or fasting or whatever, it somehow has uh, it's a, a lot more dramatic and vital than, uh, than hearing me talk about my job transition. But nevertheless, for a long time, I worked a job without a lot of job responsibilities and could pretty much keep to myself. I mean, not totally due to the nature of the job, but Definitely f to a far greater degree than now that I'm have taken on the job responsibilities that I have, where it's like I'm always available to talk and communicate and clear something up and do with this or that. And so as a result of which, it got to the point where really what I wanted on my vacations more than anything else was just the opportunity to sit around and not have to communicate with anyone, just kind of go to a peaceful place 
<laughs> which is to say, um, you know, a lot of comic books and maybe a cert certain amount of pot, maybe. So that was definitely going to be the plan for this year as well. It was going to be three or four days by myself, totally not in touch with anyone. And then, you know, Graham and I were going to see each other. Edie was actually flying in the next day. Then we would spend a few more days in Portland. We'd see Graham uh, for dinner again. And then we would head home. And uh, for whatever reason, um, my first couple of days were not great. I mean, they weren't terrible. Um, there was really nothing that I could point to that I, I could be... Um, that I could complain about. Well, I mean, maybe a few things, you know, me, come on, but, uh, really not as, um, you know, I just, I found myself really almost kind of restless, kind of agitated. A lot of times the days would kind of, um, just sort of swing by. And part of that admittedly, of course, I think was the fact that um, because I was traveling from one state where marijuana is legal to another state where marijuana is legal uh, and, and I had no other responsibilities, I, I you know, I definitely found myself um, uh, high as a kite a couple of times, which is usually an awesome time to read comics. But for whatever reason, it just ended up being a strange, restless kind of, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had this where it's like you just need to get away from other people and then you do and you're like, Ugh, no, this is like I also kind of need to get away from myself. <laughs> it just was not working. Um but I did read uh, several comic books, which I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about in just a minute or two. <laughs> a minute or two. We'll see. We'll see how long it takes before that actually shows up. Um, so, so by the time I saw Graham for dinner on Wednesday, it could well be that part of the reason why we never got around to recording anything was in part I was just so like happy and excited to see him and hang out and catch up, but also kind of like not talk about myself. Like I suspect I probably did anyway and probably too much as I do here, but I don't really seem to remember that much. It was a lot more hearing from Graham and hearing how Graham was doing and, you know, us kind of talking about Portland to an extent, but, um, we had some other stuff coming up that you should be hearing about very soon. Uh, as Graham would say, hint, hint, or wink, wink, or what, what, what would Graham say? Hmm. Huh. Well, anyway, it's uh, if I if I think of it, it's at one point when we were at dinner, uh, somebody told him something, and we went, ah, no, and it was delightful because Graham, admittedly, is delightful, but also the so that's all I can think of is him going, ah, no, and uh, it's sadly not applicable to what he would say in this situation but you know if i can get him to say it on uh uh on the mic next time i, I definitely will i'll try and pressure him um so yeah a lot of time spent tr like just trying to actively plumb graham's brain and then when edie came into town we had been apart for like three or four days and i was just so glad to see her we had a lot of fun hanging out uh and maybe some of this is the entertainment choices between, you know, day one and day five of my trip. Because, you know, like, day 
my second day there, since I was staying at the Kennedy School, which I don't know if you know, I've talked about before. It's a very fun place. It is actually a school that has been converted to a hotel by the McMinnmanins group, which is this pretty mighty uh, beer pub chain um, in Oregon. And they had gotten so big to the point where they have actually bought a couple of properties, historic properties like the Kennedy School put bars in it and also turned it into a hotel sort of situation. So very popular for uh, weddings and meeting groups and things. Cause it's, you know, it's got a, a lot of style in it, in the way that it's laid out. And then there's a lot of access to food and drink and among other things, I've got a, a movie theater on the property. And so um, in the past, when I've been there, it's been very hard to avail myself of the movies there, even though they are free for people who are staying at the hotel, such as I am. So one year, I seem to remember, like, uh, Star Wars Rogue One was playing, and I was there for five days and just couldn't make myself spend the two hours to see Rogue One. So I never actually saw it uh Another year, I got super baked, and I saw Annihilation, which I I don't know. I don't know how many other people saw Annihilation. It seemed pretty bad. I don't know. Again, the weird thing about sort of being high and watching movies or reading comics is sometimes the goofy stuff is so wonderful, and you can just acknowledge it and accept it without blinking. Um, and then sometimes there's just those movies where it's, I think, because you're a little... Um, easily confused or at least i am when i when i get that high uh i will stumble over a plot hole uh and then basically just wonder about it and watch it get bigger and bigger and sort of devour up the entirety of the movie and that was kind of the case for me with annihilation like by the time it got to the end with sort of that special effects pyrotechnic show i you know was baked out of my brain enough to love it, especially because it was trying to be sort of profound in it, you know, in that, in that way. Um, but leading up to it, I was like, eh, this doesn't make any sense. Why would people do that? Wouldn't this person, isn't that like a thing that, anyway, picked it all apart. All of which is to say this time when I was here, I was very excited that uh, Jordan Peele's Us was playing on a late night show, and the earlier show was Shazam. And I'm like, great, I get to see Shazam and pay no money to do it. And that's exactly what I did on the second night. And uh, and my money was wasted, dear listener. Uh, no, it, it just... I don't know. The Shazam Shazam movie was very strange. It's been out a while, so I feel comfortable talking about it when, you know, it's full spoilers, except I don't really know what there is to spoil, weirdly. Like, Billy Batson gets the powers of Shazam. Uh, it's very closely, like, Graham insists that it was a super straight adaptation of the recent sort of uh, Shazam reboot by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Um, which I had read and liked and did not, apparently didn't remember it very well because it, this seemed like a different version of it. Very much keeping sort of the Jeff Johns idea of Billy Batson has no parents and he ends up getting involved, uh, ends up at a foster home where the other foster home kids uh, are you know, what we're used to knowing of thinking of as other members of the Captain Marvel family, like Freddie Freeman and Mary. I don't even know what they put as Mary's last name there. Come to think of it. 
Anyway, uh, the villain in Shazam, the movie, is uh, Mark Strong uh, playing Dr. Savannah. And it's weird. It's weird. Like, Dr. Savannah has no personality, um, uh, as I can tell. Like, sort of the idea of it is, is that Savannah was, as a kid, one of the kids who was also going to be chosen as a champion uh, of uh the wizard Shazam that he seems to, you know, spent generations trying to find the the perfect recipient for, uh, you know, his powers, which is to say Captain Marvel's powers, which is to say Shazam's powers, because things are so confusing in this world, thanks to the miracle of, of swapping trademarks. Um, anyway, Savannah is supposed to be the kid that, that Shazam is going to choose, but he becomes tempted he instead, apparently what happens is in the search for the champion, uh, Shazam brings him to the Rock of Ages and the person has to choose between what the seven deadly sins have to offer, um, which is to say unlimited power and whatever Shazam has to offer, which is to say basically unlimited power. Anyway, people fail and usually choose the, the, the whatever the sins have to offer. This is certainly the case with Savannah as kid. He grows up to be Savannah, the vengeful adult, because the rejection that he faces as a result of this is, you know, um, something he's always fixated on. So he may, spends the rest of his life being sort of a genius scientist whose scientific abilities are uh, his scientific course of study is like tracking magic i don't know it's it's a hard one to get into believe me the dr savannah character really just so here's the thing like real early on i don't remember whether it's when savannah shows up at the rock of uh ages or rock of eternity i guess it's called is it hopefully it's called interchangeably or i'm just sounding old and dumb which of course we're all used to anyway Rock of Eternity ends up there, uh, and you see Mr. Mind. You actually see this worm under glass, like, looking at someone expectantly. I forget who. Again, could could have been Savannah. Uh, and it's like, wow. So there's, like, a Mr. Mind cameo. And then at the end, in the end credit sequence, uh, Mr. Mind is speaking to the now-defeated Savannah in... I forget if he's in dimensional jail. I mean, I gotta tell you, the movie... Anyway, but... This is entirely my point, is I feel kind of like DC movies are so behind the Marvel curve. Like, there's a little bit of the, oh, we're teasing the weird stuff. Like, ooh, there's Mr. Mind, you know? And sometimes I really think that, uh, you know, like, if you're going to have a Shazam movie slash Captain Marvel, like, steer into that skid, you know what I mean? Like, give us... um, Mr. Tawny, the talking tiger, give us Mr. Mind, give us, you know, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, like really early on, I think. And who knows? I mean, you know, because otherwise, as it is, like, I think the problem is between having Mark Strong there as a completely weirdly Terminator style Dr. Savannah, like he seems without much feelings because he's on a quest. He basically gets given the power by the seven deadly sins it sort of fucks up his eye, but he gets all this power. And then of course he decides he's going to take the power of Shazam from Shazam, by which I mean, no longer the wizard Shazam, but the Billy Batson slash guy with the receding hairline hybrid, who I guess is the guy from Chuck, which is a show that I have never seen, which is 
probably a mistake in many ways because, uh, as you know, or I don't know if you know, uh, if you watch this this Chuck show, I did not, ironically enough, two of the nerds on Chuck, one was Jeff, one was Lester, they were always hanging out, um, essentially ruining my Google searches for about, I don't know, six or seven years straight. Because anytime I tried searching on Jeff Lester comics, I got Jeff, comma, Lester comics. Anyway, didn't work out well for me. Uh, hopefully it worked out well for those actors. I mean, they were on a returning show for like seven or eight years. You know, you hope they get to see some sort of royalties for, you know, that sort of thing. That sort of me destroying, you know, my my Google searches destroyed kind of lifestyle uh, that I'm I'm now living. Uh, where was I? Uh, there was there was the Shazam thing. Yeah, just it was weirdly like watching Green Lantern again. I mean, better, much better. Uh, in part because the characters did have personality. Even even Mister Receding Hairline from from Ed, like I didn't like his hairpiece, but it, you know his sort of game acting, like he managed to somehow channel precisely what you would want from Captain Marvel, which is to say a certain Jimmy Kimmelness. I don't know. Uh, it's I don't know. I guess that's what someone wants from a Captain Marvel movie slash Shazam movie. Uh, uh, yeah, is how much it was like Green Lantern, uh, you know, in part because Dr. Savannah gets possessed by the seven deadly sins, which he can then unleash as big, scary monsters on everyone. Despite the fact that part of the thing about the seven deadly sins is they are sins that keep you from getting anything done. You know what I mean? Like apathy, like sloth, you know, there's like, sure, greed, envy, anger, there's a couple of those that sure will make you get out of bed in the morning, pride, I guess, but you know, but for the most part, there's a significant chunk of the seven deadly sins that are entirely, the. I think the point of which is, is that they keep you from being a, 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 a participant in your community and your society. Anyway, they're apparently terrifying monsters that he can unleash by just exuding like a big cloudy farty fog that then coalesces into a monster and begins ripping things apart. And I'm just like, what the fuck with DC movies, you know, like green lantern. It was all about a yellow farty fog. That's what they made parallax. And here the seven deadly sins are these yellow farty fogs. But on top of that, Savannah can like fly and punch things and is super fast. And it's, you're just kind of like, these rules, it was it was a weird movie how much, A, the rules didn't really work in a lot of cases, at least where Savannah was concerned. Uh, the characterizations were weirdly limp. Like, uh, you know, Billy spends a lot of time hanging out with Freddie Freeman, uh, and they are basically, you know, sort of lovable con artists, kid con artists sort of thing, which is kind of a weird way to go with Shazam, I think, in a way but makes sense, sort of. I I remember it working in the Johns comic, and it generally works here, but they spend so much time kind of being uh, goofballs together, uh, and yet, like, I don't know how to describe it, maybe because he's the better actor, but f the kid playing Freddie Freeman eh, clearly seems like a guy who is... Uh, a little fucked up by life, you know what I mean? Billy Batson seems re is supposed to see seem like you know 
a clever con man who's kind of, you know, unafraid to commit because he doesn't want to care about anyone and be hurt again that way. But the kid who plays it just kind of generally, I, I don't know. He just, he seems, he seems heavily sedated. It seems like he, before he left in the morning, he did wasn't looking too closely at the CBD oil he was taking, and it ended up having way more THC than he was thinking it was going to be, and he ended up taking like four droppers full instead of a quarter of a dropper or something. I don't know. He just seems he seems a little little uh, reactive at best and passive uh, at worst slash most of the time. Man, good lord! No wonder why we end up going for hours it's almost been half an hour i'm still just talking about fucking shazam all right so sorry everyone let's get me let's stop me talking um and talk about some other stuff like what other stuff uh i'm glad you asked i'm trying to open my notes and find out uh so one of the things I did discover that ended up making um, my time much more enjoyable was the Marvel Universe app. I tweeted about this. The Marvel Universe app has added a random read button in the uh, top upper hand corner of the app. It's a couple of question marks. You click on it and it brings up a random comic book, which you can then say read now. Surprisingly great fun. Um I talked to Graham, you might remember from one of the previous podcasts, kind of talking about I was really enjoying DC Universe and I wanted to figure out a way to get back into Marvel Universe and also read more on Marvel Universe and also read more, well, just like this, kind of random stuff, like figuring out my ways in. So uh, I realized the random comic thing I had to do and try, even though a lot of times there were comics that I kind of thought, like, I'm not going to like this, but I dug in anyway. So, for example, I read, like, Deadpool Kills Deadpool, issue number four, which was really pretty interesting. I got to say, the whole idea is that Deadpool is fighting all the Deadpools from various uh, universes, and the trick is that one of the Deadpools, the one who's organizing everyone to attack the quote-unquote real Deadpool, is... Um, that Deadpool essentially believes that the real Deadpool is responsible for creating all the multiverses that he, um, in in the Marvel comics because of his, you know, omniscience and awareness of himself as a comic book character. So there's a whole thing about Deadpool as self-aware entity and how essentially he can or cannot be a self-aware entity. Um, and what was fun about... Uh, Issue four was I thought that Bun did a pretty good job of presenting that as an option and then making it look like it wasn't an option. But the more you think about it, the more you realize it is an option. That sounds completely moronic. I apologize. But if you were to read the comic, you'd be like, oh, OK, I kind of see what he's saying. It would be nice if he could have said it in a way that was lucid. But I see where he's going with. Also, it sort of felt like there was a weird subtext uh, in the comic where Bun is talking essentially about Deadpool as being a uh, essentially a burnout hack as opposed to a creator. You know, because of the idea that he's a creator of universes and the fact that he won't create anything, but rather perpetuates the status quo of his life through a form of um, basically self-loathing uh, is a, a weird, was a weirdly trenchant little through line in the comic of like, oh, this is somebody who's talking about like 
doing work for hire as opposed to working on their own creations. And um, that was an interesting subtext. Also, Quasar number 16 by Mark Grunwald, which was, uh, as Mark Grunwald would, was back in the day, um, uh, wrapped inside this Quasar story is another Squadron Supreme story, which is to say it's a Justice League story, but it's one in which the Squadron Supreme ends up meeting a group of people that have more or less been assembled of old Marvel characters to basically be their version of the Justice League. So if you can sort of follow the convoluted thinking of the way in which the Squadron Supreme was a bunch of like different characters, Marvel characters sort of old and new to be Justice League analogs, the thing that's really funny is Grunwald then chooses a bunch of other Marvel characters like, um, you know, a cut rate eternal to be one of the flash characters, um, you know, it is itself kind of damn funny. So, uh, it was fun in playing, uh, Oh, spot this C character again, like for whatever reason, Oh, maybe they were supposed to be like the Legion of doom or the injustice league, but like golden, the golden gorilla. I don't know if you remember us talking about it from the Baxter building, but like the golden gorilla is like one of the members of the team. It's like really deep cut Marvel characters just to make them, I guess, injustice league analogs to the squadron Supremes JLA analogs. And there's a character, a Marvel character called the monitor in there. And at one point they talk about a crisis. So I sort of think that this issue of Quasar is Grunwald riffing on crisis on infinite earths by putting a crisis. I don't don't know. Anyway, it was, it was fun, but weird to read. Uh, Also in the fun, but weird to read version. Um, First four issues of Judge Dread Mega City Zero um, by Ulysses Farinas, Eric Freitas, and Dan McCade. McCade McDade's uh, Dread is just a gorgeous thing to look at, and Farinas, whose art is also quite good, you know, had done some really stellar work on uh, Judge Dread. Was it Mega City Two? Is that the it was called the one where Farinas did the art and Douglas Wolk did the story? That was really fun as well. Uh, I was weirdly a bit iffy about it still am in a way about mega city zero because the idea is that uh, the premise is, is that dread has been knocked forward in time along with uh, one mega city block and that block ended up more or less aging in quote unquote real time several hundred years in the future cut cut off from the rest of mega city and so therefore going strangely feral slash Zardoz like and dread being dread wakes up, sees this situation and is trying to figure out how to get back to his own time or resolve the timeline or whatever. But it basically, uh, the thing that's a little hard is the, the weirdo uh, anachronistic society that, that the mega city has devolved into is basically a parody of, Life online and Farinas and Fritas are kind of dicks about it. I don't know. It's at least I think so. Weirdly, I remember reading the first issue of it way back when, when it first came out and being kind of like, ah, this is not for me. Um, I bought it on sale because it was like crazy cheap, like a week or two ago, maybe three weeks ago on Comixology. And uh, I was like, eh, I'll give it a try again. I think maybe doing Drock with Graham and reading some of the classic Judge Dredd stuff makes me a little more receptive to this sort of mm, snarkier, meaner, like 
more broad satire, I guess, like um, that uh, that Farinas and Fridas have up their uh, sleeve when it comes to trash talking um, social capital and uh, and social media. The that that uh, people's punditry on um, social media is never presented as anything other than performative in. Uh, Mega City Zero, and there's something that I find um, kind of distasteful about that take, weirdly, perhaps because, I don't know, because I suppose I am actively performing in my social media um, roles, but I don't know. I just don't necessarily feel that much like I'm that way very much, and I, I feel like a lot of people, especially the people... Um, online who are actually trying to talk about their narratives being seen and heard you know or e even even just to other members of their own community as opposed to you know those that are trying to to get that narrative imposed on sort of the the heteronormative paradigm you know white patriarchal heteronormative paradigm you know like it's it's one of the things that sort of bothers me about uh mega city zero is although it makes sense um right down to a thematic way um that judge dread being someone who um whose opinions are law i suppose um, would be contrasted with the world of social media where everyone is sort of grappling to um, talk about what is lawful and just, I suppose, in the world. Um, there's something incredibly dismissive by the idea that it's the context in which it's so far it's been presented three or four issues into this miniseries is uh, that it's a that that is a um nothing but but people trying to perform win social capital i suppose like i don't i just don't buy that and the fact that it's so broadly like there is no other option with it even within that satire is uh, a little distressing to me anyway uh you know, I have to say, I'm really glad that I didn't go with plan A, which was to sort of intercut my opinions throughout Graham's little recorded seven minute thing, because then that way, um, it would sound like a fake conversation between the two of us. I would have like tried to keep that up and then it confessed at the end that it, you know, wasn't clearly wasn't working, but, um, who knows, maybe since I've spoken for half an hour and Graham had sp spoke for eight minutes, like by the time I cut all that together, uh, like that sounds like a regular podcast. I pray to God not. Um, uh, so I guess there's some other stuff that I'll talk about uh, when Graham and I actually talk like John Wick three, which I saw right before I left, like really liked it, but it's really uh, the John Wick series. Very uh, interesting as a franchise. Um, I think earlier when I started one of my innumerable trains of thought that, uh, never reached its destination. I had started to say like, maybe the difference in my week had a lot to do with my company and my entertainment, which is to say the second half of the week I saw Graham and Edie came up and I had a much more pleasant time 
being alone, but also being alone, I was seeing things like Shazam and with Edie, I was seeing things like John Wick three. Um, so before I go, I should talk a little bit about going to the comic book store with Graham. Cause he mentions that as quite a, uh, significant experience for us. And it, it was that comic book store is amazing. Um, it's one of those little mini basements out of time. And, um, there's another one like that in Portland and I sort of feel gratified. I sort of feel like I think I had stumbled across that one and introduced Graham to it when I was uh, on a visit, the, the first basement one. And uh, I'll have to dig up the name. I don't know why it's not like I'm going to type it into the show notes because part of the point is just to get this thing out into the world for you guys if you want. Oh, but you should go to the show notes page and see the picture that Graham and I took um, the, the brothers, the brothers of the beard, as I call us, cause, uh, Graham's got a beard too. And he looks great. Um, the two of us together is, a, it's pretty funny cause Graham looks charming and dashing and I kind of look like I'm falling asleep or I don't know. There's a weird Muppet thing going on with me. That's about the only thing I've got going for me these days is just kind of like, Oh, he looks like he might be made of felt, which would explain why his expression is like blank and dim, you know, but happy. Uh, anyway, check out the photo. You'll see what I mean. Um, Shazam to John Wick 3 is a big jump in terms of, for me, the quality of what you're watching. Like, they're both dumb movies, and Shazam has had thought put into it in certain ways. Um, John Wick 3, which is ridiculously short on things like story uh, or characterization, is nonetheless delightful because of the execution of what it does. And all of the weird various ways that it sort of manages to sort of create the illusion of a story. Um, they sort of, I think have a better way to do it than, than Shazam's illusion of a story. So uh, anyway, speaking of illusion of stories back to the comic book shops, I had introduced Graham to this one basement comic book shop and I think it kind of blew his mind a little bit and freaked him out. So I'm really amused hearing him talk about him introducing me to this one comic book shop uh, that's also a basement style shop. Um, it was it was great, but but Graham's the description of me as being weirded out. It makes me wonder if he really thinks that I was weirded out because honestly, between you and me, whatnots, the closest I came to weirded out was shopping with Graham in an enormous uh, basement filled with long boxes of comics. And because it was a half off sale, there were a lot of 50 cent comics that were 25 cents, $1 comics that were 50 cents. Then there was just a lot of long boxes where things were priced at like, I don't know, two or $3. And then the trades were supposed to be 50% off. And I have to say just between you and me, whatnot, uh, again, saying that, twice within two minutes. Uh, I'm not sure that this guy's uh, comic book pricing was entirely cricket in terms of his half price sale was, um, he was like, yeah, so all the trades are 50% off. I'm like, fabulous. So I find this book called Japan Inc., uh, which is by Shotaro Ishinomori, uh, which is uh, an introduction to Japanese economics. It's actually published by University of California Press in Berkeley, uh, probably back in the 80s, 1988. 
And so it's a manga about Japan's economy back at the time. So it's, I think it's going to be an amazing read. Uh, but it was, it, you know, it was in a big, uh, clear, uh, bag with a backing board and the bag was written on it in pen uh sharpie like ten dollars so i don't know about you guys but i'm like if it says 50 percent off the trade paperbacks and this is the trade paperback and it's marked ten dollars on the front in the bag i assume that meant that i was going to be paying five dollars likewise graham dug through these dc digests and picked out you know three or four that he wanted they were marked at $4 a piece on the, on the little sale on the rack. And I was like, okay, well, clearly they mean 50% off that four bucks. And Graham was going to be paying like $2 each, right? Apparently not. Like I got charged $10. Graham got charged $4 a piece. Like, I'm not quite sure what was going on. Now, one of the things that I did find that I was super thrilled to find uh, after realizing I didn't have a lot of comics that I wanted to buy, but I did start looking around trying to find uh, Adam Warren's run on Gen 13, you know, which I remember fondly and had and then sold off and then, you know, find myself being like, boy, I'd like to really revisit. In fact, it was one of the first things I tried looking for on the DC Universe app when I finally got that sucker up and running. Um, and... uh Anyway, I found two of the trades, and he didn't have the single issues, but oh no, three of the trades. I'm sorry. He, uh, it was also um, that Gen 13 bootleg of uh, Grunge. God, what is it? Yeah, Grunge the movie, um, which is written and drawn by Warren, and then uh, Gen 13 Meanwhile, which is written by him and Superhuman Like You. I guess Superhuman Like You is the first one, which the art is by different artists, which I uh, will not go into here because otherwise we'll just be, I'll still be talking hours later. It's just ridiculous. I apologize for everyone who's managed to make it this far. I, I thought I would be done by now. I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm almost done. So I got half off on the Gen 13 books, which was great, but half off their cover price fine but why not half off the cover price of this Jap japan ink which anyway graham has i feel like graham's shopping strategy is basically this in case you're wondering he digs through comics and then when he finds a comic book that he likes that he knows is terrible but he wants he will hold it up to you and be like ah huh? ah huh? almost tempted aren't you so when Graham talks about how weirded out that I look is I'm trying to figure out if it, if Graham, who's usually just said, mm, really tempted, right? If Graham really wants me to buy it or if he's saying that he wants him to buy it or maybe uh, the most extreme long shot, he wants me to buy it for him. So I kept trying to like ask questions to determine like, is this a comic you want? He's like, oh, I just, I, I'm sure that you would love it, you know? So, um, and then me not buying those, which, because I don't, re I'm trying to, it's like trade paperbacks. I'm trying to move to digital. The, the, the individual issues, it just, I can't, they're kind of anathema to me today, uh, these days, which is, I think Graham just, despite him knowing how much I love, reading stuff digitally, I, I think he doesn't quite get. Anyway, so 
So there were times where he'd hold things up, and I'm like, am I disappointing him? Meanwhile, I'm trying to find books that Graham would really like, would really like. And it seems like there was a lot of them, because this, this book sale just was so heavy on DC comics from the 80s and 90s. Honestly, there were some pretty great DC um, mid-80s stuff. Like, we pieced together the, the last seven issues of Steve Englehart's run on West Coast Avengers in, like, no time. And Graham's like, huh? Probably tempted, aren't you? And admittedly, that one I was. Uh, and I was also tempted by the Michael Fleischer, Carmen Infantino, Don Heck comic that he mentions. Because holy God, Don Heck, inking Carmen Infantino and whatever it was, like whenever DC was at its um, licensed merchiest, which is to say, I feel like sometime in the mid 80s, you know, it looked great. Like Don Heck was really doing some great work. It was just the one issue. If they'd been the team the whole way through, I think I probably would have kept uh, hunting to buy it all up. But the first issue we picked up, it was um, Infantino inked by Heck. And Heck was weirdly not doing his very sketchy thing at all. He was kind of giving everything a strangely rounded figure uh, to, to, to Infantino. God, it'd be ridiculous if I said Carmen Tarantino. Carmen Infantino, uh, Infantino, whose work had gotten a little scratchier, but, you know, still had that kind of geometric kind of almost cleanness. Um, Heck weirdly brought back some of the clean look to it. So it looked a lot less scratchy than Infantino's work on, say, like Star Wars or uh, those final Trial of the Flash issues, you know, but it looked suddenly it looked a lot more... um, yeah, just just strangely solid, looking almost more like the classic Infantino from the early Flash days. Looked fabulous and never would have expected it from heck. Anyway, the next issue we found was inked by Dick Giordano and just wasn't nearly as fun. But, you know, when we picked it up, it was kind of like, oh, the heck trifecta of Michael Fleischer, Infantino in the 80s and Don Heck in the 80s. But honestly, it looked, pretty good so you know who knows who knows as i suppose uh you know deadpool kills deadpool number four was trying to tell me you never know what's going to end up being hack work and what isn't similarly i didn't really know how to appease graham every time i'd hold up a comic i'd be like well and i think that it would be something that he'd like he's like already have it already already read it read it last year read that last night dc universe you know so i i love hanging out with Graham. I really do. And uh, hopefully this doesn't sound like me spending like 20 minutes shit talking him after he spent an incredibly gracious and wonderful eight minutes talking uh, about our trip, my trip up to see him. Um, I do. I, I love hanging out with him, but it can be really confusing trying to figure out what he wants or doesn't want when you're in a comic book store with him. It's like, he wants you to say that you want to buy the same things that he wants to buy without him actually admitting that he wants to buy it like i don't i don't know it really it threw me off and uh, admittedly i should have just relaxed and enjoyed it which ultimately is what i did on my vacation and now i'm back and i've been speaking we're just right around the 51 minute mark we clearly know who is the problem child um, in this situation, uh, and it's me. So anyway, I'll let you guys go. Uh, I hope you listened to all of this. I don't know why I necessarily hope that. Um, I know that I'm really 
uh, split up Graham and I, and I don't feel like it's like, um, he probably does fine, but I know that I, I, I suffer by, um, the lack. Uh, so tune in for us. I think next time, I think we've got a drock that we're doing next week. I don't know. We're still kind of confused about things, which is funny because June is right around the corner and June is going to be a big month for us for reasons that we will talk about soon. Uh, until then, I hope you're doing well. Um, sorry to keep going on and on like this, and I'm just going to cut to Graham singing us out. So talk to you later.